Welcome to Let God Die, the weekly podcast sharing stories of God transforming lives through changing perceptions of who He is and what it means to follow Him. We believe that commonly those who reject God haven't experienced the truth of who He is, and that those who follow God often have false expectations or understandings. Together, we can take those perceptions of God and let them die, so God can live. Hey everybody, this is the Let God Die podcast. This is Josh. Today's guest is Mike Sayers. Mike is the pastor of Scum of the Earth Church in Denver, Colorado. I first learned of him many years ago. He was essentially the band pastor of Five Iron Frenzy. I got to sit down and talk to him about his book years back at Cornerstone Music Festival. The conversation always stood out to me, and uh, I respect the guy a lot, so I'm excited to have him on. We'll hop into our conversation with Mike. Right, so Mike Sayers. Can you can you tell us a little bit about who you are um, and what you do? I was raised uh, a young Greek Orthodox boy in Toledo, Ohio. It's kind of a difficult uh, service for an ADD youngster. <laughs> you just <laughs> you know you just listen to all this stuff in a language you don't really understand, and there's um, you know you're standing up more than you're sitting down, and you know there's. A ton of things to look at. I mean, there's all the saints up there on the what they call the Iconostasion. Uh, and you've got uh, the giant dome above your head, and Jesus is painted up in there looking down on you. Uh, I mean, there's... Uh, I used to daydream about uh, some of the archangels or whatever coming to life, coming out of the icons and flying around the the uh, sanctuary doing battle with demonic figures. And, you know, it was, um, of course I always got involved in those daydreams. Um, you know, the archangel Michael would hand me his fiery sword and I'd be able to fly as soon as I held it. And then I would have to go up and fight some demon with a curved green blade. And, you know, uh, the demon had stolen the priest's voice and he couldn't, speak the liturgy anymore so i had to go up there and fight him and uh you know i almost get skewered and then turn around and one last attempt at uh slashing the demon and he goes away in a puff of smoke and the priest gets his voice back and i slowly float down and hand the archangel michael his sword back and of course all the saints eyes are on me and they're all smiling and i just go back take my place in the pew and the service continues, so that was... <laughs> so I take it it wasn't very engaging <laughs> as, as far as church yeah, life I for was, you as a kid? I was off in another world, man. I mean, it's probably, you know, I'm, and then I think God probably spoke to me, you know, through my boredom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, with, uh, with these, these daydreams of uh, spiritual glory, I guess. I don't know. Um but yeah, but I went to Sunday school, uh, and that was great because you get out of church for a while, and they talked English, and we read the stories, and I thought they were awesome, and yeah. And then, it, as a teenager, I began to doubt all that. I wanted to sin with uh, with zeal, <laughs> and but I had enough of a religious upbringing, and then I thought, well, wait a minute, what if all this stuff is true? Uh, then I'm in trouble. So I better check out Christianity once and for all, make sure that it's just a bunch of fables. And once I do that, then I can I can drink alcohol to my stomach's content and I can uh, 
you know, bed women as much as I possibly can without any fear of divine reprisal. So um, I started seeking to see if Jesus was real and Christianity was true based uh, on those motivations. And, um, you know, I was the kid in the back of the Bible study who was always making some kind of snide comment. Uh, I met some young life people. So, so my, you still like continued to be involved, or at least attending church, like as uh, during that time period and everything. Well, I went because my family went. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but I really wasn't involved, and we didn't have a youth group or anything. And well, we did have a youth group, but it was very largely just social. I mean, it wasn't it didn't pretend to be spiritual. Uh-huh. Uh, at least at the Orthodox Church, and um, so yeah, I, I went, uh, but uh, I, at the same time, I was plotting my escapes. So, got involved with some real Christians, uh, you know, people who actually believe this stuff. Through uh, young life, went to a Bible study, and it was actually uh, through the Bible study that I had my conversion experience after I graduated from high school. So, yeah, it was one of those deals where God grabbed me, and it's never been the same since. I mean, I've been sold out to him. So, you know, so what was it about that uh, that that Bible study in particular? Was it just kind of well, like something that can't even really be explained? God just spoke to you? and No, I, I, I do think it's more than just the Bible study. It really was the people who were conducting it and the Christian kids who were there. Uh, I mean, it became really obvious to me they were sincere about their faith. I just didn't get it. You know, I didn't understand it. I wanted to figure it out, but yeah, I just couldn't. And I really liked the folks in that I liked hanging around them. And, uh, you know, but when they started talking about going out and evangelizing, you know, witnessing or whatever, I petrified me because I knew I didn't really believe it. Um, And then one time we were just listening to this, I'm pretty sure it was a cassette tape <laughs> by uh, by a guy named uh, Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And he was talking about love. And I started thinking about all the Christians who had ever loved me in Christ's name. And it was like another daydream. <laughs> and I'll tell you what happened. So it was like these little clouds are in the sky, and each cloud had the name of a person or a couple who had loved me who did it in Jesus' name, you know. So there's, you know, a cloud for Jack and Gretchen Boyd and a cloud for uh, Scott Johnson and a cloud for Dave Carter from the Baptist Church and Laverne Dickinson and, you know, all these other people who, uh, Valerie Bastian and Deb Schneider and just all these people that I had known at that point. Um, and I saw this water coming out of these clouds. Now, that's Again, my, my my daydream is kicking in, right? So I'm kind of bored a little bit with cassette tape. <laughs> Guys talking about love, I take off on a love tangent. And just I'm watching this thing happen in my mind, and the water comes out of the clouds, and pretty soon all the water from the different clouds comes together in like this stream. This stream is coming down, and it's coming right toward my head in my daydream. And then the weirdest thing was is I felt the water hit my head. Like I, like somebody was behind me, dumping a big jug of Gatorade on <laughs> me. You know, I mean, I just felt it, but it didn't just splash over me. 
it actually went inside of me. So it felt like it was going through my head, down into my body, filling me up from the soles of my feet. I'm sitting on the living room floor with my knees hugged up to my chest, listening to this tape. All these other kids are in the room on a summer evening, and I'm not saying a word, but there is something crazily supernatural going on inside of me. And this liquid love starts filling me up, up my legs, up my chest. I'm going, what is going to happen? It hits the top of my head, and all of a sudden it feels no more like water is coming in, but now there's a, a geyser somewhere on my chest, and it's shooting out of my chest up through my head like old faithful and i just wanted to get up and dance i wanted to shout i wanted to scream that jesus is alive i believe all of a sudden i mean he's real and the whole thing makes sense and uh but of course i didn't do a blessed thing you know, <laughs> yes <just> there <laughs> and, i mean i left there a changed man i mean i uh, all of a sudden the bible made sense where it didn't make sense before i still had all the same questions you know how could god who is good allow suffering what about the pygmies in africa who never heard about jesus what happens to them i had all these same existential questions but now i was looking at them from like the other side of the world you know i mean all of a sudden i was looking at them from a place of faith as opposed to a place of doubt Somehow God's going to work that out. I still want to know the answer. Uh, and then I really had an appetite to read the scriptures, and I wanted to talk to people about what had just happened to me, folks who believed. I mean, it was just, you know, to continue the water metaphor, it was the watershed of my life. And, uh, um, yeah, so that's how God grabbed me. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. So, uh, have you always been like a really, I guess, visual thinker when it comes to things like that? Like, is that still the case for you now? Yeah, actually, it is. I mean, I I have um, dreams, you know, that are pretty intense sometimes. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think as I've grown as a Christian, that it's become much more subtle. Um, you know, God speaks to me in a thought, you know, like a thought just crosses my mind. I'm going, I don't like that thought. Yeah. <laughs> and so I put it on my mind and then it comes back and I'm going, I still don't like that thought. You know, it, I, I don't think that's the way it ought to go. And then it comes back again. I mean, it's not a bad thought. It's a good thought. Maybe something that just challenges your norm. Is that what you mean by exactly. that? Yeah, exactly. It's something that challenges my norm that I would never think on my own. And then I finally go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe the Holy Spirit is whispering to me, and I just need to pay attention. So, yeah. uh, so it's much more like that, I think. Now that I'm, you know, gosh, I think it'll be 45 years since that moment next month, sometime. So, wow. yeah, I've been walking with Jesus for a while, and that's wow. how it happens more often. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a long time. Um, it is so, older than you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, from that point, um, where did that take you? I I, I understand you uh, you're a pastor now, right? Right. So like, uh, what was the journey there? Did you did you sense like this call that, uh, or like I don't know, an impression that I'm going to be involved in ministry or like I want to do something in that capacity? What brought you to a point of being a pastor eventually? Well, in about a year. Um, I really thought that 
I was being led into full-time ministry. So by the time I was 20, maybe two years. So two years from that, from that point, uh, I thought, no, I, I think, I think I'm not going to be a doctor. <laughs> I think, I think, uh, um, I think I want to spend my time bringing the gospel to young people. That's what I want to do. Is that what you're, is that what you're going for beforehand? Was a medical field or? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was in, yeah, I was in pre-med and, um, you know, uh, bumping up against uh, some of the harder courses didn't make things any easier. But at the same time, uh, I uh, I felt a strong, strong desire to bring the gospel to young people because that to me was more important than than the physical healing part. And so I talked to my Young Life Area director, Gary Burke, who is still a mentor of mine, and said, hey, Gary, I think I want to be a Young Life staff guy. And he goes, well, Mike, he goes, um, I want you to get a real job first. I go, what? <laughs> he goes, guys who go on Young Life staff right out of college are a little weird, I think. I, I, I mean, they don't understand what it's like to, 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 to earn a living. Uh, they don't understand what the people who support them go through just to send a check. Yeah. Uh, he goes, I, I want you. I mean, I think it's better if you just get a real job for a couple of years and then go on staff. And I thought. Oh crap! I don't want to hear that. I mean, that sounds that sounds terrible. That doesn't sound like fun. But I I took his advice, um, so I went and I thought, well, if I if I'm a teacher, then I can still be around high school kids, uh, and I was pretty good at uh, at literature and English and writing. So I I did that. I became an English teacher for a couple of years, and then uh, then tried to go on Young Life staff and did. Uh, I was on staff with. Uh, with the Presbyterian Church part-time and Young Life part-time on the east side of Cleveland. But um, a couple things happened that pushed me out of that. One was that uh, the Young Life area was in terrible financial problems, and so they stopped paying me. Uh, I had to take a job in a screw machine shop on the east side of Cleveland. Uh, and then um, the Presbyterian Church where I was on staff, the senior pastor, the founding pastor, decided he wanted to leave. And I'm thinking, I'm not staying here. Uh, and my marriage was not doing all that well. We were married a year. Uh, I didn't know what it meant to be a good husband. Um, I didn't know how to balance ministry and marriage at all. And um, my wife and I were just really immature, not getting along very well. So I kind of felt like God was leading me out of ministry, mainly because you know, I wasn't in a good place. So uh, went back to teaching, moved back to Toledo, Ohio, where I was from, went back to teaching for uh, um, a few years at least, and then um, left there to go work in a steel mill because I had a summer job in a steel mill. I was making more money. I was making teaching. So I worked in a steel mill for 45 years and then only, almost got killed four times, thought, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore, and I don't care what I'm doing as long as I'm waiting for Jesus to put me back into ministry, so I'll go be a, uh, a salesman. So I worked for a marketing company, especially a printing company. I worked for an advertising agency. Um, I worked selling radio airtime. I mean, I did all sorts of stuff. So you, you, did, a, you did kind of have it in mind that, like, you know, uh, ministry might be in your future, but just, like, for that time period, you yeah. needed to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but this stretches out to be like 15 years, yeah. you know, so, and and then I have four kids, well. <laughs> and I'm going, and, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, it's over, and then 
um, I was 39 and uh, my brother Mark who lived in Denver said if you come to Denver and go to seminary we'll put you up you and your family wow and I felt like it was my last chance to get in the ministry never really wanted to go the seminary route you know that was too traditional yeah. uh, so but but I did um, uh, we packed up and came here uh, not without some drama but the Lord convinced us both finally that we were supposed to come here and uh, within about six months my brother's wife was pregnant with twins <laughs> we had to leave their house and God provided housing and I worked at this Presbyterian church part-time going to school and and that's where I met the five iron guys so uh, the five iron guys kind of showed up at the Presbyterian church in Denver where I was working as a young adult and singles uh, director and uh, I think the band wasn't even complete they were just saying why don't you uh, come and see us sometime and I said okay I will and I brought Dennis Culp with me <laughs> to the concert just uh, he was a trombone player and an arranger, and uh, he played bass guitar real well and played a lot of things, piano, guitar. And so uh, we're listening to Five Iron Frenzy, and Dennis leans over, and he goes, oh, I say, I say to Dennis, I say, hey, Dennis, there's no trombone player. And then he looks at me, he goes, Mike, trombone gigs are hard to come by. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> next thing I knew, he was in the band, and they were taking off, and they brought me a contract from some record company that was just starting up. Mike, can you look at this? Uh, and so I kind of became the band kind of manager. Well, I wasn't much of a manager. I was more say a pastor. But mm -hmm. I looked at a couple contracts and put them in. I know I, I remember when I got a note from Frank Tate, a five-minute walk uh, on my desk at the church. And um, we checked him out. He seemed pretty legit. And uh, once... They signed with Five Minute Walk. I just kind of stepped back to being pastor. Yeah. And uh, as most people know, um, Fiverr and Frenzy then started a Bible study. And it was out of that Bible study, really, that Scum of the Earth was formed. So gotcha. that's the that's the nutshell story. And, uh, and Scum of the Earth, uh, that title comes from a Bible passage, right? Yeah. Like yeah. First Corinthians 4, uh, verse 13 during that whole little passage, the Apostle Paul is um, talking about all the hardships that he and the other apostles have had to endure. And at the end of it, he says, we have become the scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. And so, yeah, that's where it comes from. That was Reese's idea. I didn't want the name. <laughs> really? Thought, yeah, just, I'm going like, scum of the earth. I mean, Reese, I mean, I gave up other job offers to hang with you guys and do this. And I'm raising my own support, and now you want me to tell my supporters, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to be the pastor of Scum of the Earth Church. <laughs> like, just make my job harder, why don't you? That's too funny. <laughs> so naming it that, I'm sure, brought a lot of interesting dynamics. Um, I mean, gosh, I would assume that, it, that the, the demographic is not conservative, traditional, um, Absolutely like, not. No, um, and, and maybe part part of that is because you know, like I don't know, I I would not expect my my grandma to go to a, a church called Stone of the Earth Church, for instance. But um, have some grandmas. So. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, they're, they're I mean, some cool. grandmas they're just pretty cool grandmas, I must say. Yeah, just not mine. She's really cool, but yeah, that that probably wouldn't be your thing. But uh, yeah, so it brought us a lot of media attention. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, um, we've, you know, gosh, we've been in magazines all over the country on CBS Evening News. Um, um, you know, everybody who wants to write a book about the young church wants to at least mention scum of the earth, if not do a chapter about scum of the earth. So yeah, that name is, as I tell people, it's, it's the best decision I never made. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I just, I just let them do it. I, I really didn't want it. I tried to steer away from it. Let's pray about it for a week. And they, and they all, I mean, when you got a room full of 20 something, you know, skater punks, and what do you expect? I mean, it's, <laughs> Twenty <laughs> something skater punks and Mike Sayers. That's right. What yeah. in your early forties at that point? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, f- almost forty six. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, people meet me, Josh, and they're going, "Oh, you're not what I expected as the pastor of Scum of the Earth." I go, "Really? What did you expect?" And they describe the person, and I go, "Oh yeah, I'm friends with those guys." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a while since I've read your book, um, but gosh, it stood out to me in a lot of ways. There's a lot of relatability to the church that I came from back in Michigan. I live in Pennsylvania now. The pastor started the church really with the intention of reaching the unchurched and what he referred to as the de-churched, and really just having, you know, not, not sugarcoating the gospel, really, really just trying to relate to people. Um, and, um, coming at things like without the assumption that people already know, uh, you know, what they are, you know, maybe supposed to know in traditional right. church cultures. So, um, one example that I always give is, uh, you know, instead of saying like, you all know the story of John the Baptist, um, <laughs> it, it more so just coming at it with the approach of, so there is this guy in the Bible who, you know, um, right. that, that way it doesn't isolate people who, have no idea what what they're talking about and for people that already do know it's more of like oh a reminder like i know this story you know um but uh but yeah so that that was one thing that really stood out to me about your book is uh a lot of the stories that were just really raw and real and really heartbreaking a lot of the the people that i was going to church with like they just didn't have the foundation of faith uh, a lot of the time so where the churches that I grew up in as a kid, it was like, I don't know, a lot of the teens would go through like stagnant phases um, right. where they didn't really care, but they were still going because like their parents encouraged them to be there. Um, mm-hmm. Where the church that I helped serve at uh, back in Michigan, it was, I want to say like 90% of the people did not come from, you know, like quote unquote church fam- families. Um, really? So, wow. yeah. So, uh you know, when kids didn't want to be there, they just weren't there. Um, right. And when you tried to contact them, they just wouldn't respond, you know, because, like, there wasn't anybody in their life saying, like, you need to you need to be here. It's good for you. If anything, a lot of our kids would get grounded and uh, would get grounded from youth group because that was the only thing that they cared about. Um, <laughs> so That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have uh, conversations directly with parents, but the youth pastor that I served under – all the time he was just like i it's the craziest thing like i'm constantly making calls just saying like dude it's good for your kid to be here you know like uh 
So you're doing something right if they're grounding the kid from youth group because that's where he wants to be. Yeah. So I got to say, you're a good youth pastor. <laughs> it was pretty crazy, but uh, but yeah. So um, ha- has that been the the case with you? I, I guess as far as uh, a lot of the people that have have come to the church, have they been from a traditional background like yourself, um, or have they more so seemed to come from just you know having a hunger or a curiosity for the things of God, but maybe not in a traditional sense. Well, I uh, have drawn this picture on a napkin for years. Um, and now <laughs> it's painted on the wall. It's scum and a few people have gotten tattoos, but if you drew a circle on a piece of paper uh, and said, okay, this is the, body of Christ. Okay. This, everything inside this circle is the body of Christ. People who call on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior and everything outside that circle is the world or the people who do not call on Jesus Christ. Okay. I would always say, look, then I would draw a little tiny circle right on the edge, right in the perimeter of, of that. And I would say, okay, this is where scum of the earth is. This is where we want to be. We want to be on the perimeter of the kingdom of God. We want to be the very, very first place where people can come in from the outside. We want to make that step a very, very easy one. You know, if the first step on a journey uh, is the most important, you know, and the journey following Jesus is the most important journey of all, we want to make that a baby step. We want to be right there and make it as easy as possible for people to find the door and come into the kingdom. What surprised me is, is that as we got going after a year or two, I noticed that we were also sometimes the last place that people would check out before they left the church or the body of Christ. So you got young people who were raised, you know, somewhere near the center or whatever, discontent, maybe hurt by the church uh, you know, whatever, and they're going. I, 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 I'm, I hate this place. And they hear about a place called Scum of the Earth. And they go, Well, I'll check that out. That'll be the last thing I check out. If that doesn't work out, I'm leaving. And so, some people who come to Scum, you know, can stay because we're so different than what they're used to, or because um, their parents or their grandparents here they're going to a place called Scum of the Earth. And it pisses off their parents and grandparents enough that they're going, I can stay here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, can, <laughs> I can actually figure it out on my own without my mom and dad and my grandparents pressing me. I can figure out whether I want to follow Jesus or not here because I'm an individual here. I'm not under their um, influence or jurisdiction and so some people can hang right there but some people still they take the prodigal journey you know they keep going we've had some people keep going they just hang right outside the door you know they're right outside the door for years until you know or doing whatever they're doing and then they you know they're the holy spirit brings them back in and and so scum has been a place of great transition I mean, people come in and out uh, they stay for you know, unfortunately, scum is for me because my heart breaks. Scum is not one of those places where people stay, you know, twenty years. You know, yeah. we haven't been around twenty years yet. But, but yeah. So, um, I guess 
in trying to answer your question, I, I think that um, I have found people wounded so much by the church. A lot of folks uh, at SCUM uh, come because they've they have hated what, let's say, evangelicalism has done to them, or Catholicism, or whatever. I mean, they just go on like, I, I've got to find something more real than that, or less painful than that. So, yeah, I mean, both ways. But I, we're on the edge because we want to bring in people who have never heard. And uh, so, yeah, so you got to, same thing. You know, you can't just say, Remember the story of David and Bathsheba because they're going like, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that's a crazy, essential, valuable role to be on the fringe, whatever you want to call it. Um, Because without that, yeah, you would have people that would just, all right, like I'm completely out, you know, not even having that option. Um, Has that been difficult to like, to to get people that are grounded to kind of like lock arms with ministry Um, or... or (laughs) Has that been like a a process of kind of like having more foundation, you know, foundation to then reach out? We've got one of the world's best known New Testament scholars at SCUM. His name is Craig Blomberg. He's a PhD, uh, teaches at Denver Seminary. His wife is a PhD in missiology. Wow. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, They get it. You know, I mean, they're there because they understand the vision. And, um, uh, but what I found is, is, you know, even people that were, were saved through the ministry of scum of the earth by Jesus, you know, they come and they, you know, like, you know, they've got Mohawks and they've got, you know, green hair. And the next thing you know, they're getting married and the Mohawk leaves and and now she has normal hair and they're (laughs) uh, getting real jobs. And then they, they have, you know a couple kids and um, then they're going, "Mm, I don't know if this works for us anymore. Like, because, you know, we're just not part of the, the target, I guess. We're, I mean, uh, I've got to have a a men's group. I got to have a women's group. (laughs) I mean, life, life in the outpost on the perimeter really isn't meeting their needs anymore. And I would say they're probably not, mature enough, quote unquote, not far enough long to, to say, no, I, I can be part of the outreach. I can be, uh, living in this outpost and grabbing people, um, because maybe that's not their ministry. Maybe that's not what they're called to. They were certainly called out of that, but again, it may be a few years. They have to go somewhere else and then they come back. I, I don't know, but yeah, uh, I, I think it's difficult to get people to, um, to stay committed to the vision and realize uh, this church isn't for you. It's for the people who are outside the kingdom coming in and it's for people who want to leave. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you, like it's, yeah, you may not get your needs met, but you really need to help meet the needs of, of those people. So yeah, sometimes it's difficult to get people to stay. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I heard it said recently um, that the quote was something along the lines of like community doesn't start when you've been included, but when you start to see, you know, that you are a part of including others. There um, you go. Yeah. And uh, I yeah. think that's, yeah, that's a tough thing when it comes to mostly 
you know, a bunch of broken people coming together. Um, mm -hmm. Like it, there was a small group that I had at my house for quite a few years. And uh, I mean, we, we made it very clear just like this is not a church bashing small group. Like when it comes mm -hmm. to things that are, you know, like anti any particular church um, or particular people, like this is not the place for that. If you want to have like a one-on-one -on -one conversation with us, you know, like that's, that's okay. You know, like we would like, we don't want you to just bottle things up, but at the same time, like this is not the venue for that type of thing. But pretty much the demographic of people that were coming to this group, it was very much just like an independent, whoever wants to come, you know, can come. It wasn't associated with my home church or anything. Uh, mm -hmm. But most people were on that, in that place of, you know, I love Jesus, but I really don't want anything to do with the church, which, which was cool that they were like willing to, to voice that. But at the same time, it was, it was just very difficult because he had a bunch of people that were in that same spot, really like in those meetings that, I mean, that was doing church together in a lot of ways, you yeah. know? Um, and, uh, I don't know when it comes to, you know, the concept of let God die, it's not that we, uh, are anti-God, it's that, you know, like the perception of God that um, has been given um, and that we have given people needs to die off so that he can truly live. And I feel that that way about the church, too, you know, just that uh, I try to encourage people when they are anti-church, you know, just that the, the original church, as it was established, not that it was perfect, but right. I think the church in its perfect state, like you are very much about um, and that conflict comes in because you're recognizing that the current state of the church is not where it should be, you know? Um, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a firm believer that those people that are really unsatisfied with the state of the church should be, I don't know, invited into playing a part of, uh, making, making some change, you know? Um, yeah. even if it's just in a very small area of like, you know, I'm, I'm recognizing that people are not being welcomed here, like, okay, like, that's something that's on your heart. Like, what can we do to equip you to make that happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and I would say that it's even more important to do outside the walls of the church. I mean, yeah. people complain that, you know, only 20% of the people are doing this for all of the 100% of the church. I'm thinking, well, maybe that's because only 20% of the people are needed to do it inside their church. The other 80% are supposed to be doing it outside the church. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like... You know, we have this kind of phrase, look, as long as it's not heretical, it's not immoral, uh, and uh, it's not illegal, like, and it doesn't cost scum any money, why don't you go do something? Like, just go. Like, start something. Do something. Whatever it is you want to do, um, you know, we'll trumpet it. We'll talk about it. We'll promote it, you know. But, you know, God has made you, you know, the ministers, like, Go and do and be so yeah i i would i would agree with that i guess if we were to boil it down to over the journey of your faith what has been kind of like the biggest i guess we could say like misunderstanding of the character of god or what it means to follow him that you've kind of worked worked through um i'm sure they, i'm sure you could probably take that a lot of different areas but yeah well um I'm still in the process of figuring it out how much God loves me. Um, I mean, the odd thing about me at Scum is that I'm a guy 
who has usually got what he wanted by conforming. You know, so I got the grades and I was the quote unquote, you know, good kid, class president, did sports. I mean, tried to, I mean, scum, on the other hand, is full of people who got what they wanted by rebelling, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, th- I think I struggle. I mean, if you put me in the story of the prodigal son, I wouldn't be the prodigal son. I'd be the older brother. Mm-hmm. And, um, what have I, what I found is, 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 is how little, the older brother understood the love of the father. Like that story to me is not like about one lost son. It's about two lost sons, <laughs> you know, yeah. two, you know, two sons who were, who didn't get the heart of their father. And, um, being around scum of the earth folks and watching the, you know, come to faith, the transformations, the uh, the blessings that God has given to people who, in my carnal, sinful estimation, like they don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, it's like they just don't. You know, you've screwed up too many times. Um, you don't care enough. You don't try hard enough. You don't. You know, like all that kind of older brother kind of conforming stuff that comes naturally to me, and then. I uh, I realize. Uh, wait a minute. You know, my accomplishments, my attempts at following God, really are shit in His eyes. I mean, you know, you know, Isaiah would say filthy rags, right? I mean, yeah. uh, Paul would say in Greek the uh, skuvala, uh, the uh, well, pretty much translates the same way. So. Um, it's just crap. And I, my biggest struggle really is just realizing God loves me in spite of that's, that's still something I've got to, I've got to learn. And uh, I imagine I'll be learning it until the day I die because I am a performer, you know, I'm, um, and then I look at what happens to them. Everything gets comes an accident, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's it has like, nothing to do with your, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just go like, okay, I wouldn't have picked this job. I didn't pick this job. I kind of got painted into a corner. Jesus said, this is the way you're going. And, uh, you know, all this, you know, I, I you know, we get a, you know, we've been, we've I always had places to meet and then all of a sudden we get a building. I mean, and, Basically, the building's paid for. Then the city kicks us out because we violated some kind of building code assembly thing. And so we get kicked out, and the church takes us, and we can meet here. You can meet here. We're not going to charge anything. And then, uh, you know, the money starts pouring in for the reconstruction. And, like, I'm going, like, what? (laughs) This is crazy. Like, we haven't deserved any of it. We haven't done anything. And we we have all this stuff. I just, yeah, it's just, it just kind of takes, you know, my performance uh, mentality and says, uh, we don't need that, Mike. I love you anyway. Like, try what you want. It's my grace. 
period, pure and simple. Uh, and you're not as great as you think you are. That's hu- that's huge, though. I mean, I don't want to like judge where you know pastors' hearts typically come from, but um, just like my perception, a lot of the time is like trying to be perceived as someone who has kind of that direct line with God and who has things figured out, you know. But just to come from a point of like, yeah, I have kind of like tried to walk with Him, but it's still, yeah my goodness means nothing because it's all about him doing a work. Like it has nothing to do with Mike Sayers being a good dude or. I remember my, my very first uh, sermon at scum, um, Reese Roper and I met after the first service and, um, Reese looks at me and he goes, so what happened to you? I go, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I felt it was wonderful. I love that whole experience of a very first service. It was, People were sitting on the floor. Young people were coming in, you know, out of the off the street. I, I'm thinking it was great. Reese says, "What happened to you?" I said, I, "I don't know what you're talking about." He goes, "Well, I don't know what happened. I don't know who you were, but you weren't the Mike Sayers that I know. It was like you were trying to preach at my mom's church or something." Wow. And I'm going, "What?" He's going, "I he says just be the guy that talks to us, you know, like when we go out to coffee." I don't know who you were trying to be, but it. It didn't work. And I have, I mean, so grateful for Reese's honesty with me. And what I've come to find out, especially at Scum, and I think the whole evangelical church needs to get a healthy dose of this, is that what young people especially want is they want you to talk about the struggle. They don't want you to talk about your victories. Nobody can relate to you when you talk about your victories, how great your prayer life is, you know, how how you ministered to this one person and turned our life around, how you brought the gospel to these people and they gave their lives to Jesus. I mean, because they're going like, well, I'm never going to do that. But if you talk about how you blew it loving your wife, how you blew it, uh, you know, trying to, be a good Christian in a certain situation, how you choked up and couldn't talk about Jesus to the barista at the coffee shop because you were afraid of of what he might think about you or she might think about you. I mean, then everybody's going, wait a minute, that's how I feel. I can relate to that. And, you know, we can try to stumble uh, and crawl toward Jesus together. So there's... Um, there's much more. God is glorified in our weakness, as the Apostle Paul would say. Uh, uh, and and the power of God is shown in our weakness, not in our strength. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's a big lesson right there that I've learned uh, primarily because I'm, I'm at scum of the earth. I, I, I talk much more about my failures than about my successes. Rarely talk about my successes. Yeah. Um, you know, not not to necessarily just like flaunt our failures, but when I hear stories of people that have experienced the grace and love of Jesus and fallen deeper into into their crap than beforehand, yet mm-hmm. are still pursuing Him and recognizing that, like, oh man, like I thought I was good, but I'm in so much more need of Him than I even realized. Like that yeah. that speaks to me heavily because I can relate to that. Um, I yeah. can, I can relate to having an experience that completely rocked my world, um, with Jesus yet with that knowledge, 
still getting off track. I don't know. I, I think a lot of time we're used to hearing stories of that happening and then people piecing out on their faith. Um, yeah. So when I instead hear stories of like, yeah, I'm a total screw up right now, you know, like, and I am really struggling, but my struggles have, you know, don't change the goodness of God. Um, and if anything, it even sometimes speaks louder of his grace and goodness. Like that's, I don't know, yeah, just my I agree. hundred percent. I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that it's the reason we see fractured characters in the Bible. I mean, I mean, you know, the things that Abraham does, the things that, uh, that Moses does, the things that, that King David does. I mean, they're, you know, you're going like, wait a minute, if you knew God as well as you think you do, then how could you do those things? And you're going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm the same way. Oh, I'm glad I'm not in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so, because, uh, you know, not only would I go through the same things, but it'd be there for all of history to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one thing that we try to talk me and my wife to our youth kids a lot about is just that, you know, like this, this book, this Bible is not stories of people that got it right and put their hope in, in, in God, you know, like in large part, it's stories of people screwing up, um, and God making something beautiful out of complete messes, you know? Absolutely. We've got a, we've got a phrase at scum, which is T S I D coined by my, uh, my co-pastor, Jesse Heilman. Uh, he's got it tattooed on his, on his fingers, actually T S I D the for, but it's uh, turning shit into diamonds. Is <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I mean, that's like that's what God does. He turns shit into diamonds. All of the stuff that you mess up, all of the the the, the ways your heart is dark. You know what? That one day will be transformed into something beautiful. So I want to pull something out. It has to do with that, and it remind me of it. So one second. Okay. So yeah, very very random, but that that quote just reminded me. Um, my buddy Don um, gave me this thing. It just says "bless" and "faith," but it's a bunch of yeah. shells um, right. that he found uh, on on the shore of a lake in Michigan. It, you know, he gave me this thing, and it was hanging on my wall for a while. And then one time, he uh, he was just like, "Did I ever tell you about like where those came from or anything?" And I was like, "Nah." Uh, he said, "I actually." Uh, was walking and I found all these shells and they looked really cool, but he said they were actually in a bunch of dog crap and like different animal crap. He said like literally they were in poop, um, and he said that uh, like I could tell that that they would look really cool if they were cleaned up though. So he said I took them and as I was cleaning them, it just like hit me that like holy crap, like this is what God has done with my, with my heart, you know, is he has seen, you know, like what I should have been, um, what I was made for. Um, and instead of defining me by what I've surrounded myself with and what I've been covered in, he's refined me and cleaned me up, you know, not, not clean me up, but you know, like refined yeah. me and like gotten me back to, you know, that, that, that process of who I was meant to be. Yeah. I was just like, so those shells used to be covered in crap. Now but, they're framed up on my wall. Yeah. But I just <laughs> thought that was the coolest thing. Like, uh, 
before that i was just like all right this is this is cool it's, it's random but uh now every time i look at it it's just like that that reminder oh yeah that makes it much more powerful yeah much more powerful wow well cool mike but thanks for sharing it's it's interesting that you brought up the the older brother analogy um cuz i'm actually putting out a new poetry cd in a couple weeks and oh, okay. it's basically entirely from the perspective of the older brother, which uh, I find myself in very much. So, so Mike, uh, you're out of Denver right now. Um, if anyone right. wants to check out what's going on with your church um, or check out your book, is there a way to do that digitally? Um, there is. I mean, I just have to set it up. We've done an audio book, um, and that'll become available as well. Um, probably if somebody was really, really keen to read it, uh, you know, they could write uh, to me, Mike.Sayers, it's net, and I could send a, a copy because I've got all the copies. And uh, so that's, <laughs> I could do that. Um, I've got a blog, MikeSayers.com. People can go there and there's some devotions up and things like that. And the website for Scum is, you know, scumoftheearth.net. I think scumoftheearth.church also works if people want to go and check things out. Yeah. Well, thanks for what you're doing. I mean, yeah, again, it is awesome to hear a church that has that role, you know, in that position that are reaching out to people that otherwise might not be reached. So. Well, good. Yeah, and I, and I think there's more. There's other churches doing it, too. Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, we're, we're really blessed and fortunate to be able to do it here in Denver. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Jeff. Okay. We'll talk soon. Adios, man. All right, that does it for our conversation with Mike Sayers. So for the past 89 weeks, we've had episodes every single week. I'm going to take a little break. I'm going on tour with some friends. So for the month of July, we will not have new episodes. But in the meantime, if you want to check out any old episodes, share those around. Check us out on LetGodDie.com for videos, for small group resources, And I know I've mentioned this before, but if you'd like to record yourself talking about how God has turned something bad in your life for good, we'd love to hear your story. So even if you want to record yourself simply on your phone, you can send the audio over to josh at letgoddie.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back in early August.